When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Transforming our fear through difficult times. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions about how to deal with our fears, especially when confronted with a crisis. He says, intelligent action cannot occur when we're gripped by anxiety and negative thinking, which can be incredibly destructive. What's needed is wisdom. Looking at the totality of the situation, not just one aspect of the problem. Eckhart says, we must free ourselves from the negative thinking that accompanies fear and align ourselves with what he calls the vertical dimension, the place where we are one with all that is. He also urges us to pay attention to the most important thing in any situation, our state of consciousness. Effective and intelligent action does not arise out of fear. And no matter this requires not only action that you take in your personal life, but also action that we need to take on the collective level. If the action that we take arises out of fear, it's unlikely that it will be effective because what is missing then is wisdom. Wisdom that takes into account the totality of a situation, not just focuses on one aspect of a problem, and tries to solve it there, disregarding how it affects other things. So what's happening collectively to us is then potentially a great awakener for many humans. And practice, whenever the fearful thinking arises, realize that it is not helpful, it's destructive, and realize that the primary factor in your life is connected with the vertical dimension. In other words, the primary factor is your state of consciousness in any situation, any problematic situation, any challenging situation. How do you respond to it? The primary factor and your, your primary attention needs to be on your inner energy field, your state of consciousness. If that is not right, if that is negative egoically, ego means complete identification with mind, if, if the ego is there, the ego may have good intentions. It may look good at the beginning of an egoic thing that the ego says, this is what we need to do. But if you disregard your underlying consciousness, then you'll find that uh, the famous proverb applies, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So there have been many people in the world, their good intentions have led to disaster because they disregarded their own consciousness. 
They just had an idea in their head. Let's create a society that is a society of where humans are equal, they're no longer exploited. Let's get rid of the dreadful things of private property. And that all sounds so wonderful. So that's all great. It's called communism. Let's try it out. And they tried it out. It just it looked so great intention, I suppose. Well, it might not have been totally pure. There might have been a resentment also in other things with it. But there were good intentions there. They just forgot about the human ego, the unconsciousness in every human being, including the people who wanted to bring about the, the revolution. And then it led to millions dead, killed. How? I don't want to go into it now. I don't need it, but you can read history books. Now, it could work if there's a change in human consciousness, then naturally the world that humans manifest will be very different. But there cannot be a true change outside without the inner change. If you try to implement an outer change without an inner change, then you will lead again, create a new set of problems, could be worse than the original ones. So I highly recommend that in the morning and at night that you go to sleep at night sensing the inner body, not reading the news on your phone and then go to sleep, not watching television and then go to sleep. It's better if there's no device at all in your bedroom, but if you can't help it, if you think it needs you there, that's fine. But go to sleep from the inner body. When you wake up, first thing, feel the inner body. For five minutes, ten minutes, don't reach for your phone. You'll know soon enough what's happening in the world. In the middle of the night, you wake up in a body, especially if you're tortured by your mind. How come I feel so much like a separate person? You say we are one being, but why do I feel like a separate entity, a me? Why is this feeling so deep in me? On one level, you are a separate person. There is a form identity. You are this particular form, and the amazing thing is there's not a single human being on the planet or ever has been who is exactly like you. Of course, there may be people who very much resemble you, but it's, it's unlikely that your mother or father would ever be fooled by somebody says his, he or she is you, but would immediately recognize you out of, out of billions of humans. And that's just the outer appearance. And even your life story, the story of your life on the level of form, is very unique. There are many similarities, yes, with others, and it depends, of course, how individualized you are. If you lived in a, in a tribal consciousness, then there would be far more similarities. If you lived in a more individualized consciousness, then enormous differences between humans. So the, your form identity, as a form identity, which is your body, your mental makeup, the psychology of you, the personality, the aspects that make up your personality, the elements of, of who you are as a person, which is, they're all mental emotional formations that are in you, you identify with them, they are you. This is your psychological form of you. And again, nobody is quite the same as you. You're unique. And that's all to do with your form identity. Every human is different. 
And yet, yes, there are many similarities, especially in the way in which their mind functions. The content of people's minds differs, but the basic functioning of the egoic mind is the same. In other words, you derive your sense of identity from certain images and narratives in your mind, accompanied by emotions. This is a conditioning of your mind. That's the same for everybody. So the basic mechanism behind the ego is the same. The content of the ego varies, depends what culture you grew up in, what life experiences you've had, especially in childhood, and so on. But that's all your form identity. And the ego, by the way, if you don't know what it is, ego is complete identification with the conditioned mind. That's the ego. When you're no longer identified with the conditioned mind, there is still a conditioned mind, but there's an awareness behind it, which means you're relatively free of ego, although not perhaps for quite a while, periodically you will get drawn back into complete identification, the ego is back, and you're out again, and you're back again, and you're out again. I know people who have been on the spiritual path for many years, and I can often observe that there's almost two humans are there in one. One is the conditioned ego personality that sometimes operates totally, and at other times there is a more awakened consciousness there that speaks through them and acts through them. And, and you never know who's going to be there at any given moment. And uh, very interesting to see, at first, people who meet you, if you are such a person, somebody who meets you one state, somebody may meet you at a time when you're egoically possessed, the ego has taken possession of you again, and you're in a reactive mode, and a fearful mode, or you want to control, you want something from somebody, whatever the ego wants to add to itself, and somebody meets you there, and you have a certain impression of who you are, and then uh, may not realize that the next day you may be suddenly very conscious. But that person then would already have formed an idea of who you are and might not even realize that the next day you are very conscious because that person will already have formed certain judgments about you, understandably so, because you're a jerk in that state, will have formed certain judgments about you and then, of course, these judgments are stuck in the person's mind, their own egoic mind, and even if you behave differently, you might even see it anymore because they've already formed an opinion or a judgment about who you are. The mistake is when you see a human being, you think there's a single entity then. I'm not just talking about humans manifest, humans especially on the spiritual path who are in the process of awakening or in whom the awakening process is happening, they can still be drawn back into egoic state of consciousness, especially when certain challenges happen. As said, collective or personal, they can be drawn back into fearful mode, reactive mode, until the challenges of life, whether they are personal or of a collective kind, the big collective ones, until the challenges of life, instead of drawing you back into egoic state of consciousness, reactive and so on, the challenges can also have the opposite effect 
and this is why they are so helpful, they can awaken you. And so many of you are at this point where you could go either way. You could be drawn back through, at the moment, big collective challenges. You could be drawn back into a reactive, fearful, egoically possessed state of consciousness, especially if you listen to the news and the media too much, then, then you get drawn in. Or the challenge is the great awakener. And we are here, right here and now, in order to make sure that the challenges have this awakening function in you and in as many humans as possible. And then, this doesn't mean that action is not important. Action, of course we need to take action. It's important, but it's not the primary factor. Action is always the secondary factor. Primary factor is your state of consciousness. That determines what kind of action you take, whether it's intelligent or stupid. It determines what the energy is that flows into the action that you take. So while we are here then is to use this precious time, and I call it precious, although normally, conventionally, the times we are living in would be called threatening, fearful, bad times, upheavals, disaster, and there may be more to come. And it's a great opportunity within the totality of human evolution from a higher perspective. All these things are necessary developments. If it's happening, it's necessary. There is an inevitability about whatever form the present moment takes. Whatever form this moment takes, right here now, is to do with the whole history of the universe has brought about this moment, the form it takes. So it couldn't be otherwise, but that doesn't mean that it has to stay the same, is as it is. And that's an interesting thing, that acceptance doesn't mean you are stuck in it. You're more likely to be stuck in it if you resist what is. Famous saying, what you resist persists. So you're more likely to be stuck, whether it's on a personal level or collective level, if you resist inner resistance. But if you can accept that this is what is, and then you can say, okay, fine. And where do I go from here? But you might need to take some action. But once you've said fine to the isness of this, you're more intelligent because you're no longer reactive. If you cannot say okay to what is, no matter what the appearance of it is, the okay to what is, to be friendly with the present moment, no matter what form it takes, enables you to have some access to the vertical dimension, the depth in you, which means also access the unconditioned intelligence. So it's the moment you are no longer resistant to the present moment, you become truly intelligent and capable of intelligent action. There are people who are in conventional terms called intelligent, they might have a PhD or two, but live in continuous reactivity denial, then they're against what is, and their action is not ultimately intelligent. I call it intelligence in the service of madness.
if you build an atom bomb or you build chemical weapons or you build something that is extremely destructive to the environment just for profit. Of course, yes, it requires intelligence to build these things. It requires great intelligence to build an atom bomb or chemical weapon or some huge thing that uses nature and destroys it. But it's not true intelligence. It's, it's egoic cleverness. The real intelligence, which is inseparable from wisdom, a rare word these days, you won't hear much about wisdom, and you can't get a PhD in wisdom. <laughs> so that arises from that, that deeper level, where the wisdom and intelligence are a single thing. Here's a question. Do we need all the suffering and adversity that the planet is currently facing to bring forth a new earth that you wrote about? Apparently, yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. Well, that was a short answer. Oh, I just realized that I haven't fully answered the previous question, which was, how come I feel so much like a separate person? You say we are one being, but why do I feel like a separate entity, a me? Why is this feeling so deep in me? So I already gave one half of the answer, and then I got sidetracked. So the one half of the answer was, yes, you are a separate being. As a form identity, you are a separate being. And that's how it's meant to be, and it's fine. The only problem arises, or the suffering arises, if this separate being is the only way in which you know yourself. You only know yourself as this separate being, then, yes, then you are in a state of delusion, ultimately because you don't know the most vital fact about yourself, and I don't talk about conceptual knowing. So there's nothing wrong with being that's a separate being, as long as you have this body and so on, you are a separate being. But is that all? If you only know yourself as a separate being, then your life is frustrating and you suffer a lot because you ignore an entire dimension of your existence, and that is the vertical dimension. And in the vertical dimension, you are connected one with all that is, not only with every other human, you're connected with the source of all life that sometimes is called God. And you need to know that. How do you know that? It begins with a simple thing. Here and now, this moment, stop thinking. Just a moment of no thought, like now. Doesn't matter how long, five seconds, ten seconds. No thought. Stillness. And in that brief moment of stillness, strange thing is, from the point of view of the horizontal you, you no longer know who you are in that moment of stillness, when there's only a still presence, you don't know who you are. On the horizontal dimension, you know very well who you are. You can talk about it endlessly, you can think about it endlessly. <laughs> but on the vertical dimension, the moment you enter it, and in the moment of no thought, 
you no longer know who you are. And that not knowing, in conceptual terms, activates a deeper knowing that's non-conceptual. So in that moment, you know who you are, but you can't talk about it, because you know that you are that presence. But it's not differentiated, and you can't remember it. So there's a deep knowing there. In that unknowing, there is a deep knowing. You have to have the courage to go into that unknowing and be rooted in that unknowing. And then the other dimension of you can operate much more effectively, fruitfully, harmoniously, compassionately in this world. The horizontal, the personality of you can only become transformed if you realize the other dimension. I sometimes call this vertical the transcendent dimension of consciousness. So you need both as a human being here, your destiny, your fate, your purpose, your mission is to, to live in both worlds at the same time. There where you don't know yourself, but you do know, but no longer conceptually, and the horizontal. It expresses itself more and more in the horizontal dimension of life. It expresses itself more and more here, and it transforms what's here. And that's the secret of life for humans at the present time. And to realize that is why we're here. Here a question. Why do I choose to react when I know better, in quotation marks, is being exhausted an excuse for making a shameful choice? Do I actually want to react and be bad? That's interesting. People who are in the process of awakening often experience periods when they are very unawakened again. They revert back into reactivity and ego consciousness, and then they are back in a more awakened state. And when they get into more awakened state, they look back on something that perhaps they did the other day, or yesterday, or this morning, and say, how could I be, have been so, why was I suddenly so, whatever, I don't know what the questioner refers to, why was I so reactive to that person? Why was I so angry? Why did I do that? How could I have done that? Then it happens repeatedly, and he's asking, why do I choose to react when I know better? Now, the answer, of course, is you don't choose to react, and you know better only afterwards. So in the moment, you have no choice because you are run by the conditioned mind, the mental-emotional field with its conditioned patterns. And to be run by the conditioned mind means to be trapped in ego. So it's the ego in you that does it. You have no choice. The choice only comes in when you're aware. So the choice would be there if you noticed, let's say, in a conversation or an interaction with somebody, and you can suddenly feel the impulse to react and to say something or whatever it is. And in that moment, if you could know, know it for what it is, then awareness is there. And at that moment, you could choose either to say what you wanted to say, what the impulse wanted you to say, 
or you can let it go, not suppress it, let it go, because you realize it as, she use a Buddhist term, unskillful. <laughs> Buddhists like the term unskillful living, basically that means, I call it unconscious, and Buddhists call it unskillful, unskillful action. And so you recognize it as unskillful and you just you let it go. But until that happens, when you can, the awareness is there, as the impulse is about to take you over, what tends to happen is the awareness comes in afterwards, but the time interval between having to act something out and realizing that this is what you did, the time interval gets shorter. So at first you may act something out and two days later you think, oh, and then you act something out and one day later you act something out and an hour later you say, oh, the awareness comes. And then you act something out and a minute after you did it, you know it, oh, I did it again. <laughs> Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time because messes happen because hey listen remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like i'm serious if that leaks over the counter it'll be a slimy abomination by the time i get back and i was like yeah 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 of course don't worry about it i won't forget <laughs> well oh yeah that happens so start clean with clorox use clorox products as directed rinse after use if in contact with food surface Sometimes, of course, you find people apologize to others. They say, I'm so sorry I said that. At that time, they were not sorry <laughs> because something else was in them that did it. Almost another a sub-personality and the ego was there, did it. And most egos have different sub-personalities. They're all aspects of the ego. So you have one sub-personality that in certain circumstances acts like a, a little child. Oh, and then another one, when it gets triggered by something like money, suddenly gets extremely angry and fearful. You took that money away from you, did you? So you have a multiplicity of people inside you, and, and others who meet you meet, happen to just meet one of them at that particular time. <laughs> and you never know which one is going to come up on any given day or in any given circumstance. I had close observation with people when I lived for a little for a while in a commune in England many years ago with a shared house with a bit of land. <laughs> and I could so clearly observe with many people living there how many of them were different people on different days, completely different. And I was often sitting at breakfast downstairs and I could hear steps coming down. I wonder... Who is coming down now? It could be the same human being, but a different incarnation of that same person. Some the very cheerful person. What a wonderful morning. Great, isn't it? Great to be alive. We should be grateful to God for being here in this wonderful... And the next day, God talk to me. Leave me alone. Don't want to know. <laughs> same person. <laughs> but in all cases, unconscious. <laughs> Taken over by certain patterns. Now... When there's awareness, then the different sub-personalities, which are aspects of the ego, are kind of more are contained, so you don't lose yourself in one or the other. They are more contained, and gradually they dissipate. So you're no longer many different people. 
And then as you grow more conscious, you find yourself, you're basically the same, same, same in every circumstance. <laughs> and you don't act out roles anymore, which is, you're the same whether you meet the, the Pope or the Dalai Lama or you meet person sweeping the street. Is exactly the same because you don't have a mental image of who you're meeting and you don't operate through mental images anymore. You're meeting a human being. You're meeting the being. It's the same. So when it happens, you don't have a choice, so you don't choose. The questioner asks, why do I choose to react? You don't choose. It happens to you. Now the next part of the question is, is being exhausted an excuse for making a shameful choice. It is true that when, you, when people who are beginning to awaken often find that when they have low energy, their consciousness is also low. <laughs> so they, they get, they're tired or they had a long day and exhausted and then they just can't be, they're not, can't be present anymore. I don't have the energy to be present. I don't, don't talk to me about presence. I don't want to know just what is all that rubbish presence. They're exhausted. A time comes when they b begin to realize that, and then even when they're exhausted, they can still know that they're exhausted without it making them unconscious. And the last part of the question is, do I actually want to react and be bad? No, you don't want to react and be bad, but the ego wants to react. And being bad is not, not bad either to the ego. Trouble is good. To have an argument with somebody is great. To try to prove somebody's wrong is great. The ego loves that. It needs to be right. It needs an enemy somewhere. Please give me an enemy. Because if I don't have an enemy, I don't know who I am anymore. I define myself through the other. And so I need to emphasize the otherness of the other because otherwise I don't know who I am anymore. Individual people do it. Entire countries do it. So they point to another country as those are the bad guys over there. They need the, main, the mainstream media, they participate, they habitually create an image of another country as bad, and it's, it's ego, it's collective ego. They don't know what they do. So the question is not, do I actually want to react and be bad? No, you're not even there when it happens. <laughs> it's happening to you or inside you, and you can't know anything about it. You're asleep at that moment. Spiritually speaking, you're asleep. In other words, unconscious at that moment. The moment you become conscious again, you look back and say, oh, I did it again. Well, you didn't. It happened to you. <laughs> but you have to suffer the consequences. Now, some people, when this happens, people who are very unconscious and have violent tendency, very unconscious, they can even perpetrate acts of violence in moments of deep unconsciousness when they overcome. They may not even be really aware at any time, but they can function normally for some of the time. In other words, I call that normal unconsciousness. You still can, you can function, be a part of society, yes, in con conflict with others, yes, but nevertheless, in normal unconsciousness, part of, you can be part of society and function like millions of others, normal unconsciousness. And then periodically, from normal unconsciousness, they go down to deep unconsciousness. And such deep unconsciousness, they can perpetrate acts of violence. 
Sometimes it happens through alcohol. Many crimes are committed because people get completely drunk and then they get a gun and then they shoot somebody. Just an argument is enough and something dreadful happens. So one could say, is this person who is now going to prison for the rest of his her life, his life, is he responsible if he was completely unconscious when he did that? It just happened to him and he did it. Is he responsible? Now, if he's not responsible, as I seem to imply, because it's, some, it's unconscious, then naturally you would have to say, well, then he shouldn't go to prison, should he? Well, then the, the reason you should give why he should go to prison is to protect others because it probably will happen again. That's one reason why he should go to prison. And I would agree with that. There's another reason, and that is even though people may not be responsible for their unconsciousness, they still have to suffer the consequences of their unconsciousness. And this is how evolution happens. Many humans, they don't necessarily go to prison. There are other consequences for unconsciousness. So even if you're not responsible, because it is the destiny of humans to become more conscious, to grow in consciousness. And for very unconscious humans, the way they become more conscious is to suffer the consequences of their unconsciousness. And by suffering the consequences of their unconsciousness, they become more conscious. In other words, some people become more conscious after 20 or 30 years in prison, or just a few years, and, so, and suddenly, suddenly some the personality subsides and something else arises, and they go, wow, and they can't. Who did that? So it sounds a little paradoxical, but this is how evolution happens. For, the, for very unconscious humans, they perpetrate, they do bad things, Sometimes the consequence is their own premature death, because if you kill a few people, one day somebody kills you, or they get maimed, or whatever it is, you suffer the consequences of your unconsciousness, and through that extreme suffering, there's an opportunity of awakening. So quite a few very unconscious humans awaken in that way, so you could say the, the ego, their, their very unconscious ego, ultimately becomes an instrument for their awakening, <laughs> which is the ego's own death. <laughs> My final answer to the, the questioner then is, it may be that there are certain situations that you go into in your daily life that you know are more likely to trigger your unconscious reactivity, in other words, make you unconscious. It could be a person that you go visit, or, and, and this person always makes you unconscious, and that it could be somebody you work with, or it could be somebody you've known for a very long time as in your family, whoever it may be, maybe your parents. Whenever you visit your parents, the same script is being played out. Your mother or father accuses you of not being good enough or whatever they do, and you react, and you, and you storm out, and you shout, oh, what is this? this is one of many possible scenarios. Or you, before having contact with your ex-spouse, for some reason you still, still need to be in contact to know that you're going to be triggered, and then instead of just going into the situation, 
use it as a spiritual practice to see if you can stay present while you talk to them. But you have to really feel your entire body when you talk to your ex-wife or ex-husband. And you have to go, okay. Don't tell them, I'm just practicing being present. That doesn't work. Just be present as much as you can. So that's your opportunity. And that's, of course, um, people with whom you share a lot of history are often like that. You, you need to, they trigger you. And so before you interact with them, know, okay, I'll stay present now. So and then you go into this high degree of alertness when you talk to them so that you are not forced to act out the same script again, the same reactivity again and again and again. So as Ram Dass said, famous advice, if you are so enlightened, go and spend two weeks with your parents. If you think you are so enlightened, go visit your parents for two weeks. Ah, well that will give you good feedback of where you are at. And it is often the case that other humans give you feedback as to your state of consciousness. <laughs> because it's easy to fool yourself when you're alone in a room or out in nature, and you say, oh, I'm completely enlightened now. Nothing is bothering me. Wonderful. And then the next thing happens. You meet somebody. And, what? How dare you say it? <laughs> How dare you? There's an interesting division that's another challenge in our present age right now. Not as acute a challenge as the pandemic, but there's a division between people, not only in the United States, but in many other Western countries, but perhaps maybe stronger in the United States, but it's definitely also there in other Western countries, a division between it's hard to put a name to it. Maybe traditionally it was called left-wing and right-wing, but they seem to be, the polarities become more pronounced. As if they, they can't meet anymore. They can't have a conversation anymore. And uh, here's a question about what advice do you have when someone finds themselves in conversations with family members, friends, or co-workers and it is obvious there are strong differences of opinion on a particular topic, such as health care, guns, same-sex marriage, immigration policies, homelessness, and politics. Yes. Well, what advice do you have when somebody finds themselves in conversations like that? The way the question is asked, I don't see a problem. I know what the problem is. Strong differences of opinion. Well, that wouldn't be a problem, would it? But there's more to it than that. It's not just strong differences in, of opinion, because that would be fine. You have a different opinion than I. Okay. But that's not how it is. What the questioner means, of course, is that people are identified with their opinion. What is an opinion? It's a thought form in your head. And you've probably adopted that taken from somewhere outside, from watching the internet, mainstream media, or some alternative source. You took in some opinion about any of these topics, and it becomes your opinion. What's an opinion? It's a, a thought form. Now, an unconscious person, lack of awareness, Awareness being a deeper dimension of consciousness or higher dimension of consciousness, 
An unconscious person derives their sense of self from thought plus emotions. Thoughts give them their sense. So if you derive your identity from a thought, then you need to be right. Your opinion is regarded as the truth. You derive your sense of self from your opinion. Therefore, if anybody questions it or contradicts, this person is actually perceived as attacking you, not as somebody who has a different opinion. The, the unconscious perception is that this person is attacking you. And then you react as if you had been almost physically attacked. And this is how a discussion about these topics becomes very toxic. And it's not only when you're physically together, it operates in an exaggerated form when people only communicate online and they communicate with people they have never even met. All they have of the person is a statement that this person posted and they react as if this person were the devil and their mortal enemy. They know nothing about this person and then they post something to insult that person and say, what a dreadful human being you are. <laughs> and once you've posted this thing, your ego feels a little bit bigger. But then, of course, comes the reply of that person, and then you have to react to that. And then other people post things in reply to that, and then you find yourself in the middle of this. Some people are behind you, others are behind this other guy, and you, go, and you can sit there for hours, and the ego loves it. <laughs> Completely crazy. It's one of the insanities of our civilization, and there are many, is that kind of interaction, complete identification with conceptual ideas and mistaking who a person is, reducing another human being to a mental concept. Completely insane. And this is a new technology has enabled the human ego to proliferate and grow in that way. And the people who participate in that don't even know that it's insane and that's making them more and more unconscious. So the, the polarities become more pronounced in viewpoints and opinions. So you have basically, they can be kind of divided into left and right. Where is that going? Well, how is it going to end? We don't know. Is there going to be some actual civil conflict? Is it to end peacefully? Depends how human consciousness, human consciousness will grow. It either grows through violent conflict or it grows in, in a more peaceful way. In every age, the ego, the collective ego, manifests in, well, in different forms, but they differ from, from time period to time period. In the 20th century, you had the collective ego manifesting in certain ways, it, for example, leading to the insanities of the First World War and the Second World War. First World War, everybody was eager to fight in every country. They would say, yeah, we're having another war, great. If you were there, you'd have, been, have to be very conscious to see, see the insanity of it all, because it's not easy. You need to be pretty awakened to recognize the insanity in your own cultural environment. Retrospectively, you can see it more easily. Oh, they were crazy. 
or you can go back to the Middle Ages in many of the beliefs in what they did, and they burned people, and they put the most absurd ideas. Yes, there were some enlightened people too, but the general culture was pretty crazy, and you can see how can they... We can easy to see how crazy the human collective ego can be, but how crazy is it now? You could be part of it. Part of some of your opinions could be part of the insanity of the collective ego, and you wouldn't even know it. I'm not going to tell you what it might be, because it's for you to become aware enough to find out for yourself. But yes, this age has a growing craziness about it too. It's always uh, what applies to the individual or applies to the collective. It's easier to see the unconsciousness in others than it is to recognize the unconsciousness in yourself. Just as it is easier to see the collective unconsciousness in a certain culture in past ages, or somewhere totally different on the planet, easier to see that than to see the craziness in your present, your own culture where you are living. You need more awareness to see it. I do not attack verbally any crazy beliefs that I see around in the popular culture because it's pointless. It would be like saying when somebody comes to me, if I were a psychologist or psychiatrist and somebody comes and says, I am, uh, well, let's say, what's a common delusion? I am a reincarnation of Napoleon, but nobody believes me. I'm, I'm, I would not question and say, no, you're not. That's a delusion. I would just listen. There's no point in, because if I question the delusion, he'll just run away or attack me. So I, would, I just listen. Okay, hmm, that's interesting. And then perhaps by acting as the presence for his belief system, perhaps I can bring more presence to him too, just by be, being the presence there for him. And then perhaps he will have enough awareness to recognize his own delusion. And then I wouldn't have had, instead of me trying to convince him that he is deluded, I'm just there as the presence. And I do the same. I don't comment on contemporary culture very much, except in general terms, because it's not helpful. It's my job to uh, help people awaken. As they awaken, they become aware of their thought processes, and they, be, they will also become aware of certain thought processes that are completely deluded, that they have taken on from somewhere, probably the internet. <laughs> so I still need to complete my answer to this question. What advice do you have when you find yourself in conversation with people and so on? completely different opinions. Well, what is your state of consciousness when you're engaged in these conversations with friends or family members and you disagree? That's the question to ask yourself. What is your state? Do you experience certain emotions? How do you interact with them when you have a discussion about this or that? Are you completely identified with your opinion? Do you become defensive or aggressive when you talk? then you are part of the unconsciousness. And for the unconsciousness to operate, it needs at least two. It needs two sides. If you don't offer any opposition to their viewpoints, then the conversation would quickly come to an end. 
is it possible to have a conversation with completely different viewpoints about these topics without involvement of the ego? Yes, it is possible. You do not have to give up your opinions. You can have your opinions on whatever these subjects you mentioned or others, but what you have to give up as you awaken, you do give up, is your identification with your opinions. In other words, deriving your sense of identity, your sense of who you are, from your mental positions. That's a delusion. And as long as you do that, you're engaged in a very unpleasant discussion. We are actually not defending the truth. You're defending your fictitious sense of self. And the more you defend your fictitious sense of self, the more unconscious you become, up to the point of physical violence sometimes. That's it. So it's up to you. It's not so much what others do. It's up to you to see, are you able to express your opinion, even almost forcefully? This is what I believe, but you are not in it. It's just that your opinion is there. It is. Because, so where are you? You are behind that much deeper. You're the presence. It's nothing to do with thought. So you derive your identity from the deeper place, your essence identity, and then you can play with ideas and discuss them. Now the question is, can the other person also do that? Or are they completely identified? That, well, maybe they are still completely identified with their opinions. In which case, it would be a very strange experiment to have a discussion with one participant not identified with their opinion, the other participant completely identified with their opinion. It would be interesting to see where that goes <laughs> or whether the conversation would quickly come to an end. There certainly would that person who is identified, would they perhaps suddenly run away because it's so, so weird to be... To, to have somebody who has no ego involvement in the discussion. And that's for you to practice. Are you identified with your mental positions or are you able to explain your mental positions without the self involved in them, your egoic self? Interesting experiment. So next time be very conscious when you have these discussions. Now when you're discussing on the, online, on the internet, it's a different matter. You're not re really meeting a human being there. Do you dehumanize people by responding as if these people who have different opinions were the devil or your personal enemies? So you have to be very conscious how do you interact with people if you do online people that you've never even met. So be very, very much aware of your, your inner state while you don't post anything or, or give it some time. That's a, perhaps a good recommendation. Before you, you write something, but don't post it. Give it at least half an hour, one hour, or even better, have a good night's sleep. In the morning, look at it again, and then see, do I want to post this or not? In many cases, you may want to say, okay, I don't need this. <laughs> so the time interval perhaps is a, a helpful thing. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. 
Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.